We've been discussing the exact parameters of the mitzvah of Kiburav. Among the requirements that we learned are physical service, and we've explained that that seems to be the basic component of the mitzvah. To serve your parents, ma'achilo, mashkeyu, to give him, to give them food and drink, to take care of them, to, to clothe them when necessary, to help them go in, to help them go out. But we discussed there are other types of kavod as well, and the Gemara discusses a type of a spiritual kavod, that when somebody uh, says something to you, you should say, I'm doing it in honor of my father. The Gemara says that you should not say, do, do this for me, but do this for the sake of my father. But specifically, the Gemara discusses the issue of standing for parents. The Gemara in Kedushin Daflamad Aleph base mentions a number of stories of showing how important the mitzvah of Kibudav and to what extreme some people went. The Gemara says that Rav Yosef, when he heard his mother's footsteps, would stand and say, I'm standing before the Shekhinah. As we've learned that parents and the Kaddish Baruch Hu somehow merge into two sets of parents, and we also learned the Ramban, that the mitzvah of Kibbut Av can be derived somewhat from Kibbut Hashchina, and therefore it seems appropriate to stand for your parents. Now, this halacha that seems to be what, Rav Yo- what we just learned in the Gemara that Rav Yosef did is one simple halacha. Interestingly enough, in the Sefer that I've mentioned a few times, Rav, Rav Yosef, the son of Rav Avadya, in his Yalkut Yosef has two volumes in Kibbut Avaim. He has 70 pages discussing the mitzvah or the idea of standing up before parents. And he discusses in what situation you do have to stand, how how long do you have to stand, how far away do your parents have to be before you have to stand, and all kinds of chakiros that you have about when and where and how to stand. The basic law that we know of standing is, of course, for respect for a Talmud Chacham. And there... Many of those questions are in place. In fact, Rav Yosef learns many of the halachas from what we learn from Kibud Harav. But it seems that the world, the general feeling of people is not to stand for parents. And the question, of course, that has to be raised is, why don't we really do it? Why is it that, at least in my experience, I do not feel that most people stand for Kibud Av it seems to me that in today's upbringing, in today's society, it would seem somewhat strange that children would stand for parents. And therefore, it is assumed that parents are mochel on this obligation. Parents say they prefer their child not stand. Now, there's a difference between my first, the first statement that was made and the second. I said the parents are mochel, and they prefer that the children not stand. Because, you see, if the issue is a question only of mechila, so a parent can waive the obligation. That doesn't mean it's not a good idea to stand. 
it doesn't mean that it would re- really show kibbutz avaim to stand. It just means there's no obligation because parents are mochel and mechila works. We're assuming that of course that mechila works and kibbutz avaim, and there's no problem to sit down with your parents to be seated or to stay seated with your parents' permission. However, the statement was also made that the parents prefer it. It seems that most parents today, at least in my estimation, would actually prefer a more natural type of relationship with their children, not that their children should stand up every time that they come in the room. The issue of standing for parents is somewhat different than standing for the Rav. For the Rav, the Kavod HaRav is not something that you need necessarily have today on a more informal basis. Yes, I think it is true that in certain places today, the Rav becomes, especially in education, in the, uh, let's say, high schools, certainly in elementary schools, there is a concept of today the Rav being somewhat a, more of a, a friend of the of the student rather than just his uh, Rav who places Mora upon him. Today, many of the Rabbanim joke around with their students, they indulge in sports with their students, uh, and seem to be to create a relationship of a type of a an older brother or a friend rather than a father figure. In that case, the Rabbanim also, I think, would have a problem with requiring students to stand up for them. A certain Rosh Yeshiva once said, it really pains me when my students stand up for me. On the other hand, it pains me if they don't stand up for me as well. The exact balance of what is considered proper respect, proper dis- distance to maintain from your Rav is an issue that has to be defined by each person individually, by each Rav individually. But as far as parents goes, the assumption, assumedly, of most people is that not only do parents waive the obligation of standing, but they would prefer that the child not stand and therefore would have some sort of what we would call more in today's society, more of a natural relationship. The other halachas have covered how far it goes. So the Gemara mentions extreme cases about the Gemara that um, a father knocked at the door so his son calls out the whole time, yes, yes, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, not to, maybe for a second, the father would to be hesitate that he's not there. Or the Gemara tells a story about a, someone who asked for a cup of water, and by the time his son had come to bring him the cup of water, he fell asleep. So the son bent by his side and stayed there, stayed there the entire time until he awoke to fulfill the mitzvah of as to give him that water as soon as he woke up. And the Gemara tells stories about uh, extreme stories that I, we remember from childhood, that Rav Tarfon's mother needed to climb, as it were, a little bit of a ladder. So he used to bend down that she should step on him, step on his hand, to go up and, and use him as a, as, a, as a ladder. And when he 
when he was praised for this in the base Medrash, they said, that's nothing. You haven't really reached the level of the extreme concept of Kibbut Avayim. Although we've learned this mitzvah is extremely important, and the details of this mitzvah are so great, there is a question in the Gemara if you have to spend money on this particular mitzvah. There are some mitzvahs for which a person has to pay. For example, a person has to have tefillin. has to put on tefillin. He has to pay money to buy a pair of tefillin. There are some mitzvahs that a person has to do physically if he can, but he need not pay money for those mitzvahs. This week we read last Shabbos, Parsha Shkalim, and that's the one mitzvah of the Torah that seems that everybody has to pay the same amount of money, and even a poor person who has no money has to spend the machatzis hashakel. Hadal lo yamit machatzis hashakel means everybody has to pay the money. What kind of a mitzvah is kibbutz avay? Is the mitzvah begufo that you have to take care of your parents, but you don't have to spend money for that mitzvah? On the other hand, maybe it's a mitzvah that implies spending money. The Gemara had discussed machilo mashkeyu. You have to support your parents. What does that mean, to support? Does it mean just to give them the food, but the parents have to pay for the food? Or does it mean literally, as we call support, financial support as well, I give him the food for for him. The Gemara raises this issue, and the Gemara has a question. Kibbut Av, Mishal Av, or Mishal Bey? Is Kibbut Av an obligation of the father to pay for the money, or no, the father has to pay for the money, the son only has to support him. So in the Gemara they bring him a chlokas. One Pasuk says, Kabed es vasimecha, and we learn, Kabed as Hashem mehonucha. The same way that we have to respect the Kaddish Baruch Kibbut, mehoncha, mehoncha means from your ruchush, from your property, so the comparison to Kibbut Avayim would imply that you have to do it also by spending money. So the Gemara says, no, for sure, that Gemara implies one thing and one thing only. If a person was told by his parents that he needs their help, a person has to go fulfill the mitzvah of Kibbut Av, then he has to spend time doing that mitzvah. But during that time, he could make money. In America, they say, time is money. Investing a lot of time in Kibbut Avayim is itself a way of spending your money. You're not allowed to ask your father to pay you whatever the, the minimum wage or more than the minimum wage for serving him. So the Gemara says that definitely is included in the mitzvah of Kibbut Bitol Malacha. Again, Rav Yosef in his Sefer discusses all kinds of scenarios of Bitol Malacha. What would happen if a person would actually lose his job? Sometimes... It could be that your father needs you to take him, let's say, to a doctor's appointment at a certain time on a certain Wednesday, and at that time there's a very important uh, business meeting. And if you do not show up to that meeting, you might lose tremendous fortune, and you might even lose your job. So these are questions that have been raised by Achronim. The Gemara simply says that bitul malacha to for, to abandon your own enrichment, you cannot make. You cannot make money while you're serving your parents. That you certainly have to do. But there's no proof 
that you have to spend money for a keyboard avaim. The Gemara brings a few tries to prove this way and that way. Finally, the Gemara says there is no answer. But Tosus in Kedushin Daflamet Beis says it seems that the halacha is Mishal Av. It seems to be that that's the way we paskin, that a a son, a child, a son or a daughter has to honor their father or their mother, but do not have to spend money for it. There is a famous story told about Reb Chaim. I think it's in the book of Ishim Veshitas of Rav Zevin that a certain person was asked by his father to travel quite a distance in order to help his father do something. So, obviously, the Allah of Kibbut Av means that he should go. So, he came to Reb Chaim to ask him, is he allowed to demand the money for the, for the trip? Uh, whatever it was, the train trip or the uh, wagon, would he have to, would the father have to pay? The, the expenses involved. So they say that Reb Chaim answered, how did you, in what, what, on what day did your father tell you to come? Did he tell you to come in 10 minutes? Did he tell you to come in an hour? He said, no, he just told me to come. He says that then you have to walk, even if it's 100 miles. The obligation to serve your parents is to go to help your parents. It seems to be for your comfort, you don't want to walk, you want to travel, so then you should pay the money yourself. Very clever answer, but the point of it is that if really Kibbut Av in, involves expenditure, the father is really obligated to spend that money. The Gemara goes on to say a case. Uh, the Gemara says, they asked someone how strong is the mitzvah Kibbut Av. So he said, the Gemara says, both parents. The Gemara says, even in a case where the father or the mother would take a wallet, throw it away into the ocean, and the son would not say a word to him. That shows tremendous, tremendous respect. In a way, that really shows mora more than kavod, because there's no positive respect involved here. You didn't do anything positive, but you did not embarrass him. You refrained from embarrassing. That seems to be more a concept of Mora than Kava. But the Gemara goes on to say, well, why should you embarrass your father? If it's your money, apparently you're allowed to demand the money back from your father. And if it's your father's money, what do you care? So your father, if it was money. So the Gemara said, oh, it's talking in a case where a rich man threw away his wallet with a lot of money, and the son is going to be the heir. He is going to inherit this 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 fortune. So he was involved, even though right now it's not his money. He wouldn't have to spend money for Kibbutz, but he would have to spend his own money to help his father, not his father's. But 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 this should not affect him. Why is it affecting him? Because he's a libel yoresh. He's going to inherit, and therefore. It's still a, a tremendous sign of respect, or as I said, Mora, that he would not uh, embarrass his father for spending the money or for throwing away the money that really he hopes one day will come to him. So the Gemara quotes this story 
And as a, at the end, the Gemara says, you can't prove anything from this story. The Rambam quoted this story in the Gemara in Perek Vav Halacha Gimel. And he did not qualify the exact parameters of the case. It seems from the Rambam that even if it would be the son's money, the extent of Kibbut Av would mean that the son would not disgrace the father and not comment upon his father's action. Now, it may be, and some Achronim have learned from here, that the Rambam Paskind against Tosfus that Kibbut Av is Mishal Ben. Even if the wallet belonged to the son, he would not be, it would be proper for him to stay silent and not say something to his father. There are, however, two important points to make in this connection. Number one, it really is referring to a concept of mora more than kavod. Mora might imply a loss of money more than kavod would, number one. The Gemara did not distinguish, and the Gemara seemed to think this is the case of kavod. But nevertheless, we could argue that it seems to be a case of mora. And secondly, when the Ramam quoted it, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is certainly an obligation upon everyone. Many of the stories that we learned in the Gemara and quoted in the Rambam might just be a higher level of kibbut av than is required, but certainly a commendable action. The stories that are told in the Gemara about these people who were so careful about kibbut av and did unusually brilliant things really bring into question is this standard normal behavior that we have to, each person has to emulate? Or are these stories quoted in the Gemara to show an example of how far we could go and how important Kibbut Avayim and what we should try and aspire to. But nevertheless, that does not mean that is the required behavior. So when the Rambam quoted this case in Hilchus Mamim, it might be what we would call a Midas Chasidus. It would be a wonderful uh, situation where the sun would reach this level and, and really not do anything about it. But perhaps, according to strict halacha, he could ask for the money, just the Raman would be, would be commending someone who did not do that. Tosfus goes on to say, there in Kedushin Daflamet Be'ezim that although we paskin that a father has to spend the money for his own food, nevertheless, he said, If the father is rather indigent and the child is fairly well off, then the child would have to support the parent. And then he goes on and says, the Ri, the Rach said, Im ein la'av mamon va'ben yeshlo if the child has money, the father doesn't, the son should support his father, he should not be less than anybody else. Once Tosus adds the words, he should not be less than anybody else, it seems that this is not based just on Kibbut Av. It seems it's a halacha of tzedakah. Lo yehei means... Anybody would have to support this person. Any person who is indigent, who needs help. So there's a mitzvah of the Torah. 
Open your hand and give him with an open hand. In fact, the Pasuk has a hierarchy of giving charity. The Torah says, Give the charity to your brother, to your poor people, to the indigent in your land. It seems that halachically, Gemaris, Halacha, and Poskim elaborate upon this, that the first obligation of tzedakah is to your relatives, and then to the, the poor people in your city, and then to the poor people in your state, and eventually to the poor people all over the world. But the hierarchy means that your relatives come first. Remember the phrase of Kohelas, mi besarcha altisalem. Do not be oblivious of the plight of your brothers, of your relatives. Mi besarcha, la'achicha. So it seems that a father certainly would be a relative who deserves to be supported. And therefore, the mitzvah of tzedakah would be applied to the father on a primary basis. He should be perhaps the first object of the obligation of tzedakah. The, the idea, of course, of not working is certainly true that you have to stop your work to support your parents, but it does not necessarily mean that you have to spend your own money, but in case your father doesn't have the money, then you should give him the money. Again, we would have to discuss the exact parameters of tzedakah in such a case. What are the laws of tzedakah? And that would not be a specifically a kibbutz avaim halacha, that would rather be a tzedakah halacha. For example, would we coerce a person into spending this money for his parents? In general, the issue would be relate, related to the question, do we coerce people to give tzedakah? We all remember the Gemara in Bava Basra, that Rav Achri Rav Nassim, the Gemara tells a story how one person coerced another to give tzedakah. And Tosfus asks the question, how can you coerce someone to give tzedakah? How can you force someone? Because tzedakah is a mitzvah saseh, shematan tzachar There is a reward attached to the mitzvah of tzedakah. The Torah said that Kodesh Baruch Hu will give you a bracha, ki yivarecha Hashem elokecha, that Kodesh Baruch Hu will give you a bracha for giving tzedakah. And Chazal explained, aser to aser, give maaser in order, shete aser, and they, as a play on words, aser shetit asher, you give maaser, you'll become rich, or HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you money in order that you should give maaser. However, we learn, there is a bracha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, and there's a principle, Bezdin does not force people to do a mitzvah when the Torah itself provides the reward. And a number of answers are given in Tosas and Bavavasra and other places to explain how we could force people to do a, a mitzvah like kibbutz, like tzedakah, or we could say kibbutz too, because kibbutz also has a, a phrase, leman yarichun yamecha, mitzvah, a mitzvah of kibbutz, also has a reward by it. So since there is a mitzvah attached to the, there's a bracha attached to the mitzvah, so it would seem that you cannot coerce somebody into giving tzedakah. Nevertheless, the Gemara does say you did. So a number of answers are explained by Tosfus. And really, as I said before, it's a Tzedakah issue rather than a Kibbut Av Vaim issue. Women are obligated in this mitzvah as well. There seems to be 
an interesting, uh, somehow, uh, comparison between Kavod and Mora. We have not started yet defining the mitzvah of Mora, but in the Pasuk of Mora, I will translate Mora as awe. A person is supposed to be in awe. I don't know if Mora really means fear, but rather a, a certain type of, of Mora, of awe, for his parents. Now, in that Pasuk, it says, Ishi Mova Viftiro, so the Gemara learns, since it says man, ish, imova vivtirau, you, at plural, tirau, should have awe from your mother and father, the, the Gemara says, ish, the Torah proceeded by saying a man. So it seems only a man is obligated in this mitzvah. What about women? So then the Gemara says, that's why it says tirau in plural. Tirau means both of you. Both men and women are obligated in this mitzvah. So then the Gemara says, so then why does it say ish? What would be the point of telling me man if men and women are included? And the Gemara says, because a man can always do this mitzvah. A woman cannot always do this mitzvah. In what case can a man do the mitzvah and a woman cannot? The Gemara assumes that it's talking about a married couple and a man has obligations to his parents his entire life. A woman who has family responsibilities and is considered the Akera Sabayis, she's considered the essence of the house, has responsibilities at home. If her, the responsibilities of her own home would clash with the responsibilities of her parents, she would not be obligated in the mitzvah of taking care of her parents because she has primary responsibilities in her, in her own home. Now, the Gemara learns this from the Pasuk of Ish Imov Avivtirau. It would seem more logical that that should refer to Kavod. Mora, as we'll learn, is more of a negative concept. Why should a married woman not be able to have respect in the form of awe for her parents if it involves physical service? going to their house to cook, to bake, to clean, to whatever needs to be done, so that I can understand the married woman simply is too busy. She doesn't have the time to do it. There are conflicts. So then I can understand she's parted from Kavod. In fact, the Halacha does say, although the Pasuk is learned from Mora, a woman is not chayev in Kavod for her parents once she's married. But there should be no mistake. It doesn't mean that a married woman is exempt from the mitzvah of kibbutz. It means if there's a problem, if there's a clash between the needs of her husband and her family and her parents, her husband and family come first. If there's no clash, she's required to take care of her parents. It's an interesting phenomena to note that in my experience, in my own personal family experience, as well as what I've seen in the world, in most cases, where parents need help, and very often they are brought to the house of their children and live with their children when they need some help in the house. So generally, it's the daughters that take the parents in, with, of course, the love and consent of their husbands. But generally, that is what you see. Although technically, the halacha would be the opposite. The son would be obligated to take in his parents, whereas the, the, the daughter of the parents would be perhaps required to take her in her in-laws.
but not necessarily her own parents. Nevertheless, it seems that practically speaking, people take care of their parents and daughters as well. Another type of person who is interesting to note whether he's chayiv and kibbutz avayim. We've discussed that women are chayiv and kibbutz avayim. The answer, of course, is definitely so, unless there's a conflict. What would be a case, and I knew such a case, of a person who had parents, had a father, had a mother, but never knew them? Let's say the child was given up for adoption, or let's say an even worse scenario. The parents never wanted to see their children because of whatever reason. Let's say the parents got divorced and the father uh, had no dealings with the wife at all. It was a terrible divorce and the children never saw the parents. Never, ever in their whole lives. Would there be Allah of Kibbutz? Well, you could argue that since Kibbutz is Pira'un Chov, we've learned the Yushalmi in Peah that said Kibbutz is repaying a debt, we would have to question what that debt is exactly. Is that debt the fact that they took care of the children? They invested time, effort, money into bringing up children. And for that, the parents owe, the children owe them a debt of gratitude. Or is that Piran Chav for the fact itself that they were brought into the world? Since we learned their partners in creation of, of man, your whole existence is only there because of your parents. So maybe the Piran Chav is for your being brought into the world rather than for what your parents did for you. In general, it's questionable how much we could use the phrase of Piran Chav to really decide a halacha. It's true the Rushalmi calls Kibbut Avayim a Piran Chav. But could we really take that literally? Wouldn't it be more logical to say that the question we've discussed today if you have to spend money for your parents, should be also based on Piran Chav. If your parents really invested money in you raising the child, shouldn't you have to give them back money when they're, when they're older? Isn't Piran Chav a real financial obligation and not, just, and not just a question of respect? Piran Chav might really depend upon this question. Do your parents spend money for you or not? Do we really take this halach of Piron Chov very seriously? There is a uh, big question about this and obviously as in many other questions you'll find some people say one way and some people will say another. The famous Yiddish uh, expression comes to mind as a tragedy. The expression is, one parent can support ten children, but somehow ten children cannot support one parent. A parent supports his children with love from the time that they're born until the time they can stand on their own feet. It would seem that piron chav should mean that children should do the same for parents when they need it. Nevertheless, as I said before, these halachi questions have not been completely resolved. In the case where the father has abandoned the child, then you might say that in, a, in essence what the father is doing is he's waiving all responsibilities for the child 
And therefore, in a sense, he's waiving his rights as well. Since he did not take care of the child, maybe he meant, maybe part of the statement is, Amochel, Amochel, Amochel in any respect that comes to me, or in any kavod that comes to me, because I'm not bringing you. As I said before, these questions should be given to a posek, they are not clear in the halacha. One last point that I'd like to make is this mitzvah of Kibbutz has become such a difficult mitzvah, a very hard mitzvah, and of course, one should do this mitzvah properly. We discussed why you do not make a bracha. Do you, in the question would be if you need kavana to do this mitzvah. Is this a general question of mitzvahs trichas kavana? Of course, good intentions are really important in this mitzvah. We all remember the Gemara that says a person could give his father pheasant, a delicacy, but if he gives it to him in an ungracious manner, he did not fulfill the mitzvah kibbutz properly. On the other hand, sometimes a child can make his father go to work, but if he's doing it with love and respect because of a certain situation that arises, that itself is kibbutz avayim. So, whether the mitzvah requires kavana or not, certainly the attitude of the mitzvah is essential in the mitzvah kibbutz aim. It's a mitzvah which has arichus yamim, it's a mitzvah which has piron chov, it's a mitzvah for which we are promised arichus yamim.